Cliffhanger Night for the revolutionary new series, Twin Peaks. After seven chilling weeks, we were finally going to find out who killed Laura Palmer. You're under arrest. Murder of Laura Palmer. But the producers had something else in mind. Angry? You're not alone. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the eighth episode of Twin Peaks, the season one finale. Yeah. It's called The Last Evening, another great episode title. Thanks, <laughs> localization from Germany. It was written and directed by Mark Frost, um, and it first aired on May 23rd of 1990. And you can tell that it was written and directed by Mark Frost. Yeah, I think. you really can. Especially, I was like, say the same. Yeah. Given what we've sort of learned and discussed about yes, the different people making the different episodes, it's a Mark Frost episode. Yes. Uh, most relevantly to what I'm about to say, um, partially in that it is a dense episode. There is a lot going. There is so much material that is all intersecting itself in this episode by far more than in any other episode yet. Yep. Probably also more than in basically any episode to come, at least as I remember. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, no, that's probably true, because next episode, well, insane, because it has to be the follow-up to this episode, is a David Lynch episode, so right. it's a very different type of mm-hmm. sort of laying on mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so to to briefly recap what happens in this episode, uh, we open as Dr. Jacoby takes the Laura bait and uh, pays a price for doing so. Um, the one-eyed Jack sting successfully results in Jacques' capture, but he is killed after he cooperates with the uh police the sheriff's department investigation audrey's first night at one-eyed jacks reveals the owner of the establishment to be her father in a Gross. distressing revelation um catherine attempts to get out from under the double cross and in doing so we learn well and parallel to that we learn the nature of uh hank and josie's involvement with one another um the ghostwood contract is signed as the mill burns and finally cooper is shot yep it, this is an episode in which there, uh, as we as we know from watching a uh, an ABC Nightline special that aired, I guess what days after it aired within the week of this episode, yeah, coming out, yeah. Um, which if you go to our Twitter account or our AMC Facebook page, Prime Time or something, yeah, yeah. AMC Prime or ABC, ABC. Um, if you go to our Twitter page or our Facebook page, you can see a link to this incredible uh, Prime Time report uh, in the fallout of of this <laughs> this season finale, and people were not thrilled about the cliffhanger nature of it, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what you would expect, but the, the implication of this news report, and it's also what I've sort of, what you hear in conversations about the show is that people had been thinking, Oh, this is an eight episode series. Right. I guess it's a mini series or something. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. that at the end of this thing, Laura Palmer's killer is going to be revealed. And instead they just get every single storyline, basically like jumping off of a ramp and just stopping mid jump before we see right. where the landing is, including well, Cooper being shot. Like it's just, yeah, you know, the- well, what was crazy to me about the comparisons made in the, in the report were the reporter kept drawing, kept saying how unfair it is that twin peaks didn't wrap up the whole mystery in its season finale. But then he would draw comparisons to shows like the prisoner, which ran for about a million seasons before it actually wrapped right. up its, its plot thread. So I was, I was really confused as to why people were so outraged about right. this because all of the 
counterexamples they were given all took multiple seasons to actually conclude these things. And this has only been eight episodes so far. Yeah, it's strange. I also, like, I just thought to myself, what the heck would Twin Peaks be if that was just wrapped up? I guess it would just be what Twin Peaks became, but what it became was a thing to cancel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... It's, anyway... You should really watch this. It's really, really worth watching. It's worth watching for all for, things. For many reasons, Man. including, this is so stupid, but one of my favorite things about it was just in the motion graphic used to introduce the segment, you have those weird, just 90 degree floating semi-transparent rectangles. Yeah. This is a total hallmark of 90s era news magazine yeah, branding. motion graphic yeah, stuff. For, for, for no reason at all. So yeah. good. It. It's also, I don't know. We don't need to get it, to it. it also, the, also the reporter, the, the reporter frames the whole thing with intercut shots of himself as an agent Cooper stand-in, eating pie and drinking coffee in a diner. In a diner with a stoplight outside of it. But it also cuts to like clearly they had people that went to a couple of the, like someone's friend's Twin Peaks season finale viewing parties, right? And you can just see the a bunch of the best '90s Twin oh, Peaks yeah. fans. They have video of. Their reactions as as the final key moments occur yeah. on the show, including, including the getting end. shot. Yeah, it's amazing. It it is really incredible to look at that and say, "Wow, I guess this is a pre-internet phenomenon." Yes, <laughs> it's not unique to how the internet kind of turns things into what they. I mean, it's different in a lot of ways from how it is in an internet era, certainly, but also not one hundred percent different. Yep. Um, anyway, you want to start going breaking this down? We we. Um, as we talk about talk through the various plot threads on this episode, we're grouping them more by thread rather than by scene because this episode packs so much into itself and the scenes overlap and cross cut to such a ridiculous degree that we've gone through and basically collated them to the best of our ability. Yeah. If if you view either Twin Peaks as plot packed, incredibly dense uh, sort of strange back backwater town mystery, or if you're into Twin Peaks for it's actually a soap opera that is a meta commentary on soap operas and is therefore cheesy as all hell. This episode is the episode for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. Which is clearly stuff that Mark Frost. Yeah, gets that's into what he. That's what counts. he loves the most, yeah, yeah, yeah. man. I don't want to jump too far. No, go ahead, go for it. Whatever. Leo getting shot and then watching his doppelganger watching get shot. Montana get a shot. Incredible. Yeah. You know the best thing about that is that as in okay, so obviously Twin Peaks is itself a television program, but in the fictional television program, Montana as he's as the as he's bleeding out he has this really over-the-top pained expression right and then you have leo sort of implicitly looking into montana's eyes and leo just has this blank uncomprehending yeah dead stare That's, and the, the, it's so good oh it's so good it's such a great juxtaposition yeah. it's amazing leo just dying slowly watching that guy die in the most cheeseball way yes but if it, if leo has any understanding into what's happening right there he's got to be noticing yeah but his version of noticing that is just being. I mean, it's entirely internal. Right? Yeah, like, of course it is. That's what I mean. Like, the reflection of it is just, like dead eyes. Him being yeah. in that stupid fight with Bobby, that just getting <laughs> shot out of nowhere, dying, yeah. and then seeing some just smarmy butthole on yep. TV also <laughs> die the exact same way. It's amazing. Oh, man. It's an incredible scene. Oh, I'm so glad. It, man. But, like, if there's 
a microcosm of this episode. It is probably the is, entirety of yeah. the 30 seconds preceding yes. that scene exactly. and that scene. Exactly. Yes, for sure. <clears throat> um, as, as loath as I am to stop talking about that amazing scene, you want to start, I guess, from the beginning here? So, um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to jump. No, no, that's okay. That's a, an amazing moment. Uh, so as, as this episode opens, um, well, actually, so the, the, the actual way it opens is with completely silent pan shots of Jacoby's, uh, tropical murals. And then the ambient sound of his office starts slowly fading. Yeah. And then the, mu- as, and the music also eventually slowly starts yeah, fading. Like the as way well. is fading up. Yeah. So it's like, it's so are you just good. looking at a matte painting of Hawaii? And then the camera sort of pans and there's a 3d palm tree that shows up mm-hmm. in the shot. And yep. then finally, uh, I love it. I feel like this is the, the direction of this episode felt really confident and striking to me for one that was directed by someone who's mainly a writer. I th- like yeah, I, that, it could, felt be, like that he, could be it really felt like unfair. When writing the episode, he knew what he wanted the episode yeah, to be. Yes. Yeah. There's a bunch of shots in this, in this episode that are really well, like strong. Jacoby's eye that goes to the roulette table. <laughs> yeah. Tons. Yeah. I mean, I'll get to him, I guess. So, um, so this opens with that. Oh, including a box full of cocktail umbrellas. They have, they find oh, yeah, Donna and James come in. Donna and James come in. Yeah. They successfully, um, gained access to Jacoby's office through their play. Yeah, those the cocktail episode, umbrellas, yeah. presumably they're from like resorts or tiki bars along with the notable event in his life that, the, that they right. remind him of. And then they're unable to turn off this like ridiculous luau music. <laughs> like, yeah. just, oh. See, him having that built in stereo switch. Yeah. So good. Oh, it's so good. The, it's such a, uh, it's such a great way to open this episode because it's, it's perfectly, it's, it's ta- speaking of microcosms, I guess it's a perfect, it's a perfect microcosm of the complete constant collision and overlapping of like madcap ridiculousness right. and total serious. Well, we all know that while they're experiencing the weird surrounds of Jacoby's life, he's actually out in the park, probably with his life in danger, right? Which is then confirmed. Yes. Shortly thereafter, but exactly. He gets knocked out, but we know just from last episode, like the last thing that we saw was someone sneaking up on Jacoby, mm-hmm. probably to mm-hmm. like injure or kill him. Right. And then we're cut to how do I turn off this wacky tiki music? <laughs> yep. Like, Yep, so good. Yeah. Um so they find a they find a necklace they find the necklace and the coconut, the other half of the the necklace that that uh right. was missing. They find the stuff um, that we've known about since the first right, episode. Exactly, right? yes. Uh, that was by the way, this I was shocked this uh, this episode to remember how many how many threads reappeared in this episode that have been either slowly smoldering or just not progressed almost at all since yep. like the first or second episode like i had forgotten that james actually we see on camera him listen to the same tape jacoby listened to right where james is or where laura's He's like so I'm dumb. Sick of, yeah. I've, I've got had so much only so much sweet or whatever yep, she says yep, yep. yeah that um so so that yeah that happens after this obviously one thing i want to talk about is um so jacoby so they find the necklace in the coconut meanwhile jacoby himself is watching maddie as he gets knocked out in just like a re- repeated, it seems like, like that person way. was going to kill Jacoby, except for the fact that James and Donna are done and Maddie all run to the car together. And it seems like they're all in close enough proximity that that person just leaves. Yeah. Also, it's clearly the same masked person who was standing out in the woods mm-hmm. when, uh, Leo and Bobby were having, and, and Mike were having their little like, cocaine football thing. That person, it's never, 
mention like that person just disappears out of that scene like five mm-hmm. episodes back and is never seen again and now they're here beating jacoby like to within an inch of his life with a tire mm-hmm. iron or something yeah. mm-hmm. and th- this scene as i really end up kind of feeling for jacoby like he's such a preposterous character but yeah. in this scene you get the sense that Laura was basically the only thing that he actually gave a shit about in his, li- in he his even life. He says that straight yeah, up yeah, a couple he, episodes Yeah, he totally ago. does. And I think he really sells it in this, right? He sees this, like, impossible thing happen that to him probably basically right. feels like a miracle. And then, and then he can't do anything about it because suddenly, inexplicably, he right. just gets the shit beat out of him. Yeah, just his desire to go take the completely insane, impossible chance that this dead person is alive and trying to talk to him. The end result is that he just gets beaten to within an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, uh, it's, it's a bummer. And then, and it, there's a slow zoom into his eye yep. with this like big booming audio element behind it. Just, yeah. That's just repeating that goes on for a long time. It was a really, uh, bold choice. I had a thought about what I thought that was, was, or could be, but then I, I, I've now completely forgotten. I didn't write it down. I wasn't, I couldn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a place where my brain just went, Oh, it's that. Like the way that your brain will sometimes just tell you a thing that has no bearing on anything. And I I can't remember it. So I don't think that it was actually intended to be anything in particular other than just dramatic, but sure. Sure. I wish I'm stupid for not writing it down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Audience. (laughs) So going back to that, they were, they going back to them listening to the Laura tape. They talk about obviously James He's sweet, but he's so dumb. And then, uh, this whole thing with Laura and the mystery man who like over the last few episodes, we've been getting this additional kind of drip feed in, uh, insight into Laura's own uh, kind of motivations and part in this, right? Obviously when the series starts, there's really no, no reason to assume this she's anything but just sort of a an innocent victim. I mean, that's that's this is the hints about things, obviously, and she's obviously still an, an innocent victim in a in a um like as far as getting murdered, clearly. But like her involvement in the events leading up to her murder um, gets increasingly um, right. spelled out, including the notion that she has this like fetish thing going on with her life being in danger. Right. Um, which we learned from with from, Leo. Yeah. And then she says, this guy can really light my F I R E, yep. which presumably relates to fire walk with me. Yeah. So in some way. Yeah. Um, it's also, I think someone on the forums mentioned this, but it's interesting to have that confirmed because Leo and Shelly, um, Shelly and Bobby, Bobby and Laura, Laura and Leo, is now just oh that's true it's a it's a, a, a disastrous yeah. circle of infidelity and just <laughs> that's true just nefarious gross yeah. sex yeah it connects weirdly cleanly yeah um so i guess to wrap up the jacoby storyline here um jacoby's in the hospital not dead but you know in, a, in bad shape and hayward is told by jacoby that he you know about the call from laura and saying I, I saw laura yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so yep um, meanwhile, meanwhile, yeah, you want to talk about the, uh, one eye Jack's st- the sting operation, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of one of the big meteor things mm-hmm. in the episode for sure. Um, so yeah, we obviously Cooper, he's beating the house, uh, uses that as a, or as la- an last episode ended Jacques. with Jacques Renault coming up and saying, I'm yeah. Jacques Renault. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he doesn't, I mean, someone says, <laughs> Oh, Hey, like he's identified like verbally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is it is i dude hello dude i'm jackie treehorn like that's <laughs> right um so uh cooper uses the chipped chip what do you call that yeah the chipped chip the chip that was chip. the chip that was found in the cuckoo clock in the cabin as a tip he pays it as a tip to jacques yeah uh, he uses that as sort of an end to to sit down with Jacques, get a drink, and we learn that that chipped chip get Jacques is such a weird character because he's so affable, he's so like eagerly slimy. He's, he's like, just like a happy sleazer. Yeah, yeah, like, always, <laughs> yeah and then I <laughs> saliva like, is always kind of like I know just he's rushing just, to escape his mouth like, at all. He has so few problems with any of this stuff that it almost is accepted coming out of his mouth. Right. Or it's just like, he's okay with it. So by weird proxy, you kind of like, it's all terrible what he's saying, but like, he just, he's not presenting it as disgusting. He's just like, I don't know, that's what people like. (laughs) But but the show presents it as disgusting because as he's explaining this whole thing about Leo putting the chip in Laura's mouth and saying, bite the bullet, baby, bite the bullet. The camera is like, it's just close just up on his mouth, right up into his mouth. And you bullet. see his tongue and his yeah. lips and his gross sliminess. Yeah. Just, oh, oh, oh. yeah it's Oof. really good. Oof. It is intense. Um, I, so <laughs> Sarah pointed me out a really stupid detail about, about this scene that I never would have noticed, which is that, uh, just in our interest of sort of beverage continuity in twin peaks, um, they get a drink. Cooper sits down to get a drink with Jacques. Uh, Jacques has a half full beer, and then a waitress comes and brings him an additional second beer. And then before he starts talking about Laura, he chugs the remainder of one of his drinks. But then as he gets up from the table, he has two half full beers sitting on the table. Oh, he transferred half of one over in, uh, <laughs> with the camera cutaway. Yeah. So there, there's a completely useless moment for explained it to you. Um, so also at one eyed Jacks, we have Audrey presenting herself to Blackie and her, I don't know, escort get up. What, what do they call them? Hospitality, hospitality girls. girl. Um, she picks the queen of diamonds as her, I guess, representative card. That's what, that, that was it, right? Yep, queen of diamonds. Queen of diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as this is happening, uh, Ben Horn is signing the ghostwood contract with, the what is it Icelandic guy? Yeah, we don't the, know his name, do we? Yeah. No, just one of the Icelanders. Yeah, he gets a call from Hank about uh, taking care of Leo. Um, sort of just further tangling all of these, yeah, these threads. Um, and then uh, after the Ghostwood signing, Ben sends this guy off to have fun. Blackie congratulates him about it. He says, "Let's go meet the new girl." And a really gross thing happens. Yeah, oh, I I had forgotten exactly. What when I mean, not a whole lot actually occurs in this episode, right? You just see. What do you mean? Audrey's in the room. Oh, you mean with respect to this plot thread? I yes, mean, yes. Audrey's there as the new girl. Yeah. Ben Horn, who we know is we have confirmed and is confirmed, Audrey is the owner of One Eye Jacks. Comes in like kind of grossly to try her out, right? But it's but it's his daughter, yep. and we don't. They don't make eye contact. They don't meet. Yeah, the no, that's just it. She hears him talking. As and she's he, just as, like, yeah. oh, God, it's my dad. Yep. And he he's, he says, uh, close your eyes. This is such stuff as dreams are made of, which is like this. this I think the, the stuff that dreams are made of, I think, is originally a Shakespeare quote, but I think it's best known for being in the Maltese Falcon, mm-hmm. um, and I, w- which I only note because we've ended up over the, you know, on this podcast, making so many noir comparisons to Twin Peaks that I felt like 
Yeah. That must have been intentional. Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm sure it was. Oh, one other small, tiny thing, which is, I don't know what to make of it at all. There's no real plot thing to it, is um, Audrey, when she's in Blackie's room, mm-hmm. sees the security cameras and sees the Cooper is in there. Oh, that's right. And she, she keeps getting distracted she by She doesn't it. make yeah. any connection to it at all. But yeah. I only imagine when I was watching it that in Audrey's head, she thinks the Cooper got her note. Right. And is there for her. Yeah. When he is absolutely not there for her. So yeah, when she's in that room point. with her dad. Yeah. Obviously, Cooper is not on her mind at that point. But even as sort of right, a right, point right, of right, rescue right. or recourse, that is not at all uh, yes, in play at, yes. the, at that point. That's a, that's a good observation. Because he's yeah. by the time that Ben Horn is in with Audrey, the other stuff with Jacques Renault is happening, mm-hmm. and Cooper is off, yes, no longer yes. in one eye. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. Um, so, I, uh, do you want to move on to Shelley at home? Yeah, I guess. I, I'm just I'm just going down the list. Yeah, here. no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> so much. Um, I mean, I, well, yeah, it's fine. No, no, what? I mean, it, maybe we should just jump around and actually talk about the rest of the Jacques stuff because, like, all of the, maybe not. Whatever, whatever we want to do. Twin Peaks. I mean, we can get through this pretty fast. There's not that much to talk okay. about. So, I mean, just not that much happens, and the things that happen are clear. So, Shelley, Shelley's at home. Leo gets home, grabs her, says, "You made me do this." Um, and he takes her off to the mill to tie her up. Uh, he, is this is this the beginning in this episode of any of the mill stuff? Because I know we're we're jumping mean? around, but is this the first? Is this what kicks off the mill arcs contents of this episode? I think it is. Well, the first time, the first scene with Shelley and Leo, like you don't know that that's what that that's what's right. But happen. this ends with him saying, "You're coming with me," right? Yeah, and that's because he's on his way to the mill and he's going to burn yes Shelley. with all the gas tanks and everything. Yeah. What put, a shitty, stupid plan on Leo's part. <laughs> like, Leo's just paid... Sorry, the, I don't want to jump around all over no, the place, whatever, but like... Because, okay. yeah, you're right. It does It does end with him taking Shelly to the mill, ties her up, has like... Gives most, her a one-hour timer. Yeah, a one-hour timer. Yeah. <laughs> Think about what you did. Like, come on, Leo. Oh, everything's bad. But like, the mill plan, for as simple as it could be, is because everyone's ulterior motives get piled onto the mill in this episode, it just becomes a complete disaster. Well, the fact that they hire Leo to burn down the mill, then they hire Hank to kill Leo? Why not just hire Hank to burn down the mill? Right. Why is Leo I thought it was different people. I thought it was Ben Horn doing both. Okay, I thought Hank was more related to the Josie stuff. I don't... Yeah, but, but Wait, Ben not calls... The... Oh, right, he... <laughs> Yeah. Hank calls Ben, right. and then Ben says, take care of but Leo. But Ben's plan is also make sure that Catherine is in the mill. Right. Meanwhile, Leo, who I think knows that, is also just tying up Shelly. Yeah. And he has a one-hour timer. Yeah. Like, what in the world? I mean, the, it's a plan that is only a plan that could ever exist in a storyline that is meant to have a thousand double-cross right. overlay yeah, on top yeah, of that yeah, timer. Yeah, totally. But, like... I mean, I guess what probably happens. Like just I guess what probably it. happened is, I mean, if we are going to give the, the these plot threads the benefit of the doubt, I would say probably how it worked out is n- this was nobody's master plan from the beginning. The double crosses layered on themselves, right? And I guess Ben Horn mainly as the sort of principal agent of like intention oh. in this. Right increasingly piled on sort of safeguards and double crosses. Right. But then Leo compounds it by being like, also Shelly, I'm going to burn you. Also, I'm going to kill Bobby. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. uh, It's just, I mean, Leo proves why you can't, you just can't trust him with any, with a job. That's true. Every element of Leo's life is just bungled. Yes. uh, In this this episode. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But it ends so sadly. Mm hmm. 
Um, so, uh, we have the, the stakeout or the, I mean, we have the, the stakeout that, that follows, um, right. Cooper's like plan. It's a stakeout, but it's actually, they're just laying in wait for Cooper to send Jacques right. across the border to the rendezvous point. Exactly. Which he does. Um, they, they take care of that whole thing. Um, one thing I want to say that about, uh, I guess to precede this, we learn in this episode that. Uh, at least, you know, at, at the time the episode begins, before the episode's over, Andy is still in Lucy's doghouse. Um, it is shocking to me. I totally forgot how long it takes for that to go. And it's like the second episode, right? That she starts acting she goes, hmm. cold to him. Yeah. It is basically the beginning of the show when that happens. And we go the entire season with just every other episode or show or so. They have kind of a cold interaction. And yeah. that's it. Like, it goes nowhere until now. Right. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm jumping the gun, but yeah. like, because yep. that happens after this scene. Anyway. Yeah. That's um, weird. yeah. Uh, so we, the, this stakeout scene is really striking to me because it looks, it is one of the few shots oh, with the in crazy the series blue? so far. Yeah. That just does not look like any other shot ever in this show. Except, so, except that it looks, it's the exact same high intensity blue light. From when... Oh, when Mike is in the hospital? When, when yeah, when Mike is found by Hawk. Yeah. Like, it's literally the same color. Like, it yeah. looks... It's the same wash That's true, everything. but, but it, it's it, shot really differently. Yeah, yeah it is. Because that scene is, is, a, is a long still shot, yep. whereas this is Truman getting out of the cruiser yep. with a reverse tracking shot on his face yep. as he walks forward towards John. And he's, like, like, rimlet by the police sirens with the yeah, huge the, blue film yes, in the background. and the camera's yeah. pointing up at him, and he just looks like a total hero badass in a way that this show rarely frames any of it. Like, this, that is not... That yeah. is a thing that, like, a, a cop show contemporary to this show would do. Right. It's not a thing this show ever does. Right. Um, so... I suspect that all of that is put together because they want you to feel like... Shit's going down. Like, like this, this is, is this is like the cops have apprehended who is potentially the killer. Right. Right. Which is weird to think about, but in the context of that ABC special, mm-hmm. yeah. people I wonder That scene was probably crazy. There are probably people who are like, Oh my god, it was that guy where they found him. Weird slob. There's gonna be some weird twist about how what actually went down, but this could be the guy. Like uh, Yeah. There how who would think that though? Who would think that it's not gonna be a, a like it's presented with such confidence and in such a like you said, like the way that you shoot every show like that, yeah. where they actually catch the killer or the molester or whatever. Right. Yeah. That mm-hmm. it's either a killer yeah, or a molester. It's a really like, it's a really unnight, it's a really sort of almost naive way of right. shooting that because it's the moment where the good guys get the bad guy. And it's, it's like, also maybe now, not, the, now the sheriff gives a one liner. That's, that's maybe what that it's not is. inappropriate for Truman also. It no, is, yeah, good, it is, good for it is Truman, worse. right? That is goofy. It's like, yeah. we did it. He's, I mean, also, I'm just a small town sheriff. Whether or not they caught the killer or not for Truman, that is a major operation to have pulled off and oh, succeed. Yeah. That's something the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department probably rarely. Yeah, they rarely they, they're get to not engage like, in that. First, level. we're going to have a very illegal sting operation in <laughs> right. Canada, where we dress the guy up in a tux, <laughs> another guy in a wig, and we convince a major drug dealer in our town slash probably uh, a murder comp- a better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like an accomplice in a murder over the border, and then have a struggle for the gun and then apprehend him and put the cuffs on him. Yep. Like they don't get to be that much of a boss ever. Yeah. Now this, this, this episode is actually full of kind of hero moments cause there's Truman. And then in that same scene, we have Andy overcome his kind of nervousness and shitty aim right. to be the one who, uh, who takes down Jacques as, as 
Yeah, we never even really the, talked about that Andy storyline over the course of the episodes, but like it definitely, yeah, it, that that definitely comes to a head. And then later, we'll get we'll talk about this later. But later in the episode, Pete of all people has his badass said, moment as well, where she stole my wife. Stole my wife. <laughs> yeah, he just yeah, it's kicks down the door. Yeah, um, it's funny because all that stuff in Twin Peaks, like it's all shot and presented the exact way that a super genuine TV show would do it. Mm-hmm. But you can't help. But see it take place, one, inside the frame of your TV and very aware that it is existing inside right. of there. And two, with a little bit of a smirk about it, but also still with totally genuine affection for its characters. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Well, and uh, oh, there's actually reader mail that's related to this I'll get to later, so I'll, I'll can it for now. Okay. Um, so so this happens. They, uh, they, they're back at the sheriff's office, and Hawk is doing this dramatic retelling of this 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 whole event which obviously climaxes in in andy shooting the guy and then with which andy gets the pantomime for himself yes to go, <laughs> <laughs> um which is overheard obviously by Lucy's lucy like the most ostentatious like obvious flower grounded just like hmm? <laughs> <laughs> yep yep andy and then i guess just to continue this theme of like characters taking the the sort of center stage moment uh in the episode andy then does a very non-andy thing and walks into the break room i guess and like closes the closes the the blind or whatever that is the The accordion door yeah yeah (laughs) and then and kisses her upon which he learns that uh that she is pregnant and he reverts completely back he just like like, slings out blank andy (laughs) oh man he just becomes the most scared like completely shut off baby yep yep total baby so all of Lucy's misgivings about Andy, though though briefly lifted, are in fact wholly justified. Yes. It turns out <laughs> exactly. Yep, he just is kind of a dope. Yeah. Um. So this results in Cooper and Truman interviewing Jacques in the hospital, and the thing that was so striking to me about this scene, which which you know he he just sort of I guess gives more background about the uh, about the night right like yeah. leo and so on it's not as though that's like tons of new information for us necessarily but the thing that was striking to me about it is that jacques is in no way like at, at least the way that the actor plays him he's not embittered or furious or like he's defiant just, uh, he's just the exi- he just got shot by these people and like he, including- shot, he tried to steal a police officer's gun after being hoodwinked into coming yeah. to another country yes. was shot is in the hospital is, is but none of this phases jacques renault no he's still just the same weird slimy affable weirdo right he acts the exact same way as he's completely cooperative with the questions being asked by the guy who like I guess two hours ago basically deceived him right. into yeah, getting <laughs> Cooper says, Oh, I'm Leo's bankroll. I'm yeah. the guy who's been funding this whole thing. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but that, that, that I liked that a lot. As the way to play that guy, it was really, really well done. Yeah, I thought that yeah. as sort of a Cooper moment, it was mm-hmm. it was weird because it was it's the side of Cooper that only seems to exist inside of the sort of bookhouse boys operations, right. but it's a part of his character for sure. Definitely of just I'm just going to do what it takes to get this done, and it's probably actually going to be a totally off-book, nefarious liar. Yeah. Which does not really go with the sort of totally genuine, I love everything, other side of Cooper, but like... Right, which is part of the, I mean... As the, as the person wrote Yes, in. that's part of sort of one interpretation as like the Frost elements yep. of his character versus the Lynch elements of his character. Yeah. yeah. I love I love that they coexist inside of one character. Oh, me too. Kyle totally, it totally McLaughlin works. Runs that he really does the yes. whole thing as a cohesive yes. thing. I've said before that like 
I don't think Kyle McLaughlin is the most versatile actor in general, but like this is exactly correct yeah. for him. But yeah, that whole scene where he's just like fully playing Jacques and then Jacques seems like he's just like, oh, I'm in a way more nefarious criminal scheme than I thought. Delicious. <laughs> Even more delicious. I'm going to tell you everything because it turns out we're all incredibly ridiculous criminals together. <laughs> like true. he seems to just like really relish it, like licks his lips even more than before. But now that he's like, oh, you're actually an FBI agent and the sheriff's department, I will still be as lascivious as possible. About, like, what? Yeah, it's very no, it's strange. To- it's totally true. So maybe he maybe he wasn't really taken in by Cooper's ruse at all, but will just always be like a bite just, the bullet. Yeah. Like, about whatever. <laughs> Jacques is always down. Yeah, I mean, just, Jacques, he's down for he anything. Just, he, likes, he likes it all. <laughs> he likes it all a little bit too much, yeah. I would say. Um, so, uh, parallel to this, okay, so they, this ends with them suspecting that Jacques will testify. Like they, they think they can get Jacques to testify against Leo, um, who's the one who brought the girls to the, to the train car, right. seemingly without Jacques' help, because he doesn't, right, he doesn't, really Jacques know. doesn't seem to have any guile to him, right? Like right. He, he doesn't seem to like be masking anything. So, no, he just likes sleezing around he with just loves casinos and with girls. Yes, Jacques loves the sleaze. It's true, Chris. He does love the sleaze. I think we should stop and just point out once again how just bafflingly dense this episode of Twin Peaks is. Oh, yeah. Is. We're doing our best, but I'm sorry if it's coming off as horrible. Yeah, this episode... It's weird because last episode we talked about... We talked about the, the quote from the guy who uh, directed the episode about the, the script for the episode being incredibly short... And how that allows the episode to have a ton of time for characters to breathe and for sort of cinematic yeah. moments to intrude themselves in this show. This episode is just, this episode actually feels a lot closer to me to modern serialized tele- television drama in that it's just characters almost entirely existing on screen to have something happen to them that is shocking and for it to move on to the next scene. I guess that's true. I don't know. I mean, it's it's presented incredibly deftly, like it's made really, really well. Mm-hmm. But if you try to just you think be that's like, a modern, you think that's a particularly modern trait. I don't know. I mean, when I think of shows like Game of Thrones, okay, I, I haven't seen that one. I know. I, oh, I because guess, I'm because I, what can you think of some other examples? Because I feel like I mean, even like Lost. Every scene in Lost is okay. It, fair this enough. episode feels very much in the same vein that like did a show like Lost sure. entirely lives in. But Game of Thrones is another one where it's just a scene starts and you know that the characters in that scene are only there because they're going to collide off of each other and change the, traje- change the trajectory of their arc, and then the scene is going to end. Mm-hmm. They're going to say something interesting or new. But, but like, and soap operas it. have been doing that for decades, That's though, true. Right? I, guess, I guess that's totally true. This episode is just that so potently. Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, true. I think... I guess it's just probably that... Like, high-concept, serialized, primetime drama is more or less gussed-up soap opera yeah, format. It's true. I mean, I guess if you think of something like... I mean, just to add another example, Downton Abbey or something. There are part. There are like Downton Abbey is just a soap opera. Yeah, but in but like, it, yeah, there are sections, but not all of the. There are episodes that are not like that of that show, though. Right, True. like there are episodes of that show where half of it's about a flower competition or something. But right. like, there are some episodes. There's some like stretches of episodes where it's just plot, 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 yes. plot, plot, plot. But like a show like Lost or Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you're just watching that to have things move forward. And sure. like Lost kind of tries to divert from it by having that flashback structure where they have backstory in every episode. Game of Thrones doesn't really try. It's just like, oh, I'm in a dark stone room. We're in this part of the world. I'm going to learn something about what happens to the story here next. And sure. like, it, oh, it cliffhangs all the time. And that's like, I don't know. This this episode 
feels so intensely about that that it's really hard to just talk about in a way that's interesting outside yeah, of just, yeah. and then this happens and it's crazy. Yeah, and this yeah, happens yeah, yeah. and it's crazy. All right. Well, here's a thread that, that will not be that because it's the entirely self-contained. Nadine, yeah, really depressing, small thread. Nadine, there's this whole ritual that she's doing where she has this like sort of elegant, ornate, maybe elegant is the wrong word, but the sort of ornate frilly dress and she's kneeling down on like a tartan blanket yeah. of some kind. And she, but your committing her, suicide music is playing, so it's yeah, very apparent because she because she attempts to commit suicide, yes. with a bowl of pills. Um, and it's a it's it's, I mean, this is so obvious as to be an idiotic thing to say, but it's really tragic, right? Yeah. This is a character who, of all of the characters on the show, that are have yet been presented, I feel like Nadine is the one who is least fleshed out or like her identity is least right. implied she's also the most on the surface soap opera of all these characters right and she also but, enjoys the soap opera more than right. any of the other characters she's obsessed yeah with the soap opera in a way that the other characters it just seems to exist sometimes yeah behind them Nadine like is the character it. who we like who we understand to lucy be, also watches it that's true you're right no totally good point Lucy and Nadine are the ones who actually clearly follow it deliberately but and get really invested. It feels like Nadine is in it because she really feels for the characters, whereas Lucy well, loves it because Chet, right. She, yeah, whereas she, Lucy loves the she the, just loves this the thing you were describing of the like yes. plot hose. So I I was thinking about that, and probably the best Twin Peaks podcast that anyone could ever do would be one that opens where you pay uh, Kimmy Robertson Robinson, whatever, which the actress who plays Lucy. To read a recap of the episode oh of Twin Peaks God. in the style of oh, oh. of that time that she recaps the episode of Invitation to Love as the opening oh, of your podcast. That would be amazing. Yeah. So that's the best Twin Peaks podcast, which will not ever exist yeah. unless it's a very weird and probably bad podcast. <laughs> but uh, That could just be that. That's true. <laughs> just be <laughs> this the week podcast. on Twin Peaks. So uh, Dr. Jacoby goes outside and he gets shot. But I think that it's because no, 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 no. It's the guy who is talking or who is in the hiding behind the tree with Leo. Yeah. Um <laughs> man uh anyway sorry yeah that's okay so nadine yeah so so nadine attempts suicide ed gets home finds her immediately calls 911 i have to say like it is fairly touching right i mean not that any sort of halfway decent human being would not be like incredibly distressed and concerned to come to find anyone in this situation but like so whatever that's true but i it it was genuinely touching to me to see how Ed reacted to Norma, right? Because their Nadine. relationship... Jesus Christ, Nadine, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, Nadine. Well, because I was thinking of Norma because we, there's this clear implication that Ed and Norma, yeah. you know, had something going on when they were younger. And, like, it's not really entirely they, clear why they still Ed clearly and Nadine have, are together. Yeah, yeah. They, they have a connection in a way that Ed and Nadine do not, right? Right. Despite that, Ed clearly like does care for Nadine yep. in a real way and not just a bullshit way. Um, and that I thought was really, uh, was kind of sweet. Yeah. He's um, not like good riddance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's not going to quietly pretend he got home an hour later than he did. You know, he's not going <laughs> right. to, Whoa. Which is, you could see that happening in this show though. I mean, yeah, not no. with that character. Cause Ed is never, he's never suggested that ed is like right. a devious person this but is also, just, ed has just gotten home from going across the border to wear a wig and a hoodwink a casino dealer who's <laughs> c- like complicit in a murder uh and then he comes home and finds nadine dead and is just like or not dead or not dead but we hope potentially but, yeah. Yeah, yeah he he finds nadine clearly having attempted to kill herself yeah yeah it's 
Nadine's story being as focused and simple and kind of small as it is relative to everything else Mm -hmm. is kind of nice given that often in the quieter episodes, her story is the loudest and most bombastic and insane. But in this episode, like that's true. Yeah. Her story, which is her killing herself. Yeah. She doesn't say anything. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's the smallest moment in the entire show. Mm -hmm. Like as the rest of Twin Peaks rises up insanely around her, she's just like done. I'm out. Yep. Yep. Not on, like not, as an actual response to that, but it's sort of just... But that's what's going on in the show, certainly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a thing. Yep. It's, you know, a thing to say on a podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, you want to talk about Hank and Josie? Yeah, Hank and Josie. Okay, so Hank and Josie went from one shot last yes. episode, like, oh, they're connected, right. to Hank just... Well, we made- have a few, there's a few things pointing at them connected, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's true, because she got the domino. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah uh-huh. she's, she's known about Hank yeah. in some capacity. Yep. But to just, yeah, go, it's gone from there is some connection and Hank has something on Josie to Hank just being like, so you know what I was thinking You think was, what I was thinking when I was, when I was reflecting on you paying me to murder your husband well, and yeah, then take no, the fall for something else. Well, yeah, it's just what I was thinking was exposition for an entire season yeah, of that, Twin what, Peaks yes, worth of backstory. Exactly. Like, yes. meanwhile, in season zero of Twin Peaks, it right. turns out Hank and Josie had a story as convoluted as any of these arcs, but we mm-hmm. just hear it in a paragraph out of Hank's mouth. Right. Where, like, I honestly was, I didn't 100% follow it, but the implication was that Hank went to prison to take the fall. Well, the implication was that Hank caused, like, he uh, took caused Andrew of- Packard's death. Right. But, like... Presumably, okay. So I, I maybe Josie missed is this presumably too, complicit but, in some way, but Hank going to prison. Well, she's so, complicit because she paid him, right? But 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 then Hank implicated himself in a different crime in that hit that and run or whatever. I, yeah, that presumably served ostensibly served as an alibi, right? Right for the for right. the direct involvement in the Andrew and she, crime, right? And that she, would have a, a smaller sentence than murder would, right? And she paid him off ninety thousand dollars for the whole thing, right? Which to him doesn't feel like a whole lot. Now that he's out of it and reflecting back on it. Right. Yes. Which is admittedly justifiable. <laughs> yeah, true. I want you to murder someone and then also go to prison for something else. Right. Which is the second crime you must commit on the same night. Also, okay, speaking of like amazingly directed moments in this episode, he sits there just talking, talking, talking for like three whole minutes, it feels like. And at least half of that time, he is framed with these enormous deer antlers behind his head. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. It's such a weird, just strange choice. I, I, I guess he's. It's supposed to make him come off. I mean, I guess it's. It's clearly half a it, joke, and then half. Right. What is he like? The devil or something? I don't know. It's mainly hilarious. Oh man, this is dumb. To, I mean, it's the exact. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. This is the biggest jump in the entire world. But all that it ever makes me think of is that one shot in the Blues Brothers when the guy has the neon cowboy hat dancing over his head for an entire scene. <laughs> right. Sorry, I'm sorry for jumping to that. But like, yeah, oh no, man, right. that Bob's Country Bunker hat. Yep. It's. I mean, it's another example of exactly what I was talking about earlier at the beginning of the episode with the stuff in Jacoby. The 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 um dismal nature of that scene being undercut by the the umbrellas right. and the wacky luau music i mean he's describing just this incredibly sinister affair and then the tv show is like anyway check this out i got bunny ears on this guy right like it's, <laughs> right yeah exactly the voice of the show is like <laughs> yeah well i mean not really that's overstating it obviously no, it's more but subtle it is, than that but. there there's definitely someone 
way off in the background of the show, which is basically in 3D space, approximately where you are sitting on your couch relative to your TV, just going... <laughs> like, exactly. Someone yeah. at least did that when he stepped into the yep. shot. Either yep. it was deliberate or they framed it. Or they went, realized and it and, and went, said, oh man, move okay. one foot to the left. Yeah, okay. And, and hold that. <laughs> why? What? Nothing. Just, no, it's just, just go. the light works better. Go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, or if they're amazing, they're like, okay, so you're going to be delivering this entire scene, but we're framing it so that there's wacky animal antlers behind you, <laughs> so the audience will have no idea what the intent behind that is. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, but you are not aware that it's happening, so just right. go, but no, the entire time, yeah. you're going to look like a yep. total goof. Yep. Oh, sorry, you're the actor who plays Hank. You already are kind of a little bit of a soft goof. Yep. Ugh, so whatever. So he gives this whole he gives this whole spiel about the value of his time and so on, and there's not really any resolution to it because Josie responds basically with, "Look, we had an agreement, we had a deal, I fulfilled that already." Which he says, "Yeah, you're right," but then he sort of implies that they're going to be in it for the long haul in some form or another. But he right. doesn't really say how. He does this like blood oath thing. Oh yeah, um, he, yeah, he makes them blood blooded up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later we see he he then is at the diner giving Norma his like reform act. He lays it on pretty thick. He's talking he about the crappy cot he had. Thick. Yeah, yeah. How they fit all those rocks in there? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Norma takes it pretty. Uh, Norma comes off as one of the cannier people on this show. I think um, she she always when she's on the other end of something like that, she always has this. She's always has this kind of like. I'll give him an inch kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she's always, she says like, say, say what's on your mind, you know, come out with it. But she always, she stays a few steps removed. Right. She's not right. Uh, I like how, I really like how the actress plays, plays that. God, and then Hank says, maybe it's the next 20 years that counts. I'll make yeah. you proud of me yet. <laughs> and then like, both he basically has two scenes with two different women in this show that he yep. implies we're in this for the long haul. Like, oh God, when that happened, both Dana and I Sinister were both, both like, cases. we're just like, Oh, they've been married for twenty years. I know. Oh no! Crazy. Oh no! Disaster. Gross. I know. Super gross. It is super gross. Maybe the maybe it's the next twenty years of you being stuck with Hank. Just like oof. Oh, two episodes ago, I was talking about leaving you. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. What's that cut on your thumb? Nothing. (laughs) Not. Not me mingling with uh, Josie Packard's blood. Uh, Not my other weird metaphorical marriage. (laughs) Um versus my lying fake marriage yeah here. yeah exactly um okay so uh speaking of of attempts to rebuild marriages um Catherine is ransacking the mill files to try and find try to find the ledger the missing ledger yeah and um she, and the most adorable arc of this uh of yes, this episode yes happens. definitely in the most in this episode's most adorable arc um she and Pete kind of tentatively we sort of reunite as a couple um b- by way of reminiscing on old times right and Catherine's clear desperation right that pete responds to positively yep well that starts in the office but then it then the next time we see them they're in like the house library ransacking right. stuff Pete, and then pete's like oh my old yearbook yeah and Catherine still is just like oh this this idiot yeah, but she see like even that I conversation know, sort of like softens her up a little it's bit. It's true. It's true. You as with um That's when they have that's what they talk about um Pete being like the lumberjack who could jump up a tree and Catherine right, being and the like boss's daughter in the big, big house. house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think in a different way but but um 
as with Ed and Nadine, like you do get that little flash of like, okay, these people do actually have some genuine affection for each other, even yep. if their lives are not what they In this case, it, it feels intended. more like there was something. Yeah, they've become, it's, it's they've become more, adults. Yes. yes. In this one, it was clearly yeah. started with something a little more bi-directional. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then uh, Catherine gets a call from Hank directing her towards the mill. Right. Oh, yeah. Hank just says like, but... So, okay, here was, here was what I, where I didn't understand who was complicit in what. Mm-hmm. Because... Ben and Josie's stated plan, and sorry if I've totally missed a beat, was to make sure that Catherine is inside the mill when it burns. Right. Then she gets a call from Hank, who I guess I guess that's tracks because he's in line with Josie, who tells her to go to the part of the mill that's just going to catch fire and burn her to death. Yeah. But, but Hank it- is also on a, like, I, I guess that it is just basically everyone on the Ben, Josie, Hank side, even though they're not directly affiliated, yeah. is effectively hoping that Catherine will burn alive in the Right. Middle. But it doesn't seem like it's it's executed very well at all, right? right. Because, I mean, it's, it seem, I mean, it's essentially total coincidence that, um, that Leo's timer goes off right after Catherine arrives. Like, there's, that's clearly not planned right. or intentional because she just gets over there on her own, in her own time. Right. After getting this cryptic email from, from Hank, or, uh, email, Christ, this cryptic <laughs> phone call. She got a text. She got a sext <laughs> from Hank. <laughs> um, so that, that whole thing feels really sloppy. I don't think these people really know what they're doing when it comes to carrying out a criminal conspiracy. Yeah, no. When Hank texted her an emoji of a saw blade and a flame <laughs> and a, like a winky kiss. <laughs> Um, let's see here. Um, well, there's, there's a whole, there's like a bunch of stuff that happens. That's not that it's kind of the least compelling part of this episode, I guess, which is, uh, Bobby calls as Leo to Bobby calls the, the police station. Right. As, as Leo, Leo saying, check out check James, out James Hurley. He's an easy <laughs> rider. Easy rider. Like, <laughs> Cool, cool, Bobby. Cool yeah. technique. Lucy, it works, admittedly. It 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 works. L- Lucy gives that note to to Trooper Trooper and Trooper Cuman, <laughs> Trooper and Cuman, um, to Truman Cooper, uh, noting that she hears the clock around some park. I don't remember what park. Some park uh, in the background. So they've set up a perimeter around that park. Um, Cooper talks to James about this. And presents the planted cocaine. Right. I guess that it was an interesting Bobby put in that exchange. Bike. It was it was not really important, but I thought it was it was an interesting exchange. Just in that James was like, "I learned all this crazy shit," and then Cooper's like, "Wow, really?" Anyway, explain this cocaine. <laughs> yeah, like, because James was not behaving like someone who would have cocaine in his bike or who would be involved yeah. with that. And it's James, the most just derfy derf in the yep. in the whole uh-huh. town. Yep. And then, like, and then when he's he's like, "Oh, cool! I can talk to a police officer about all this crazy shit I've uncovered." And then they're just like, "Yeah, okay." Now tell us about this cocaine, and he's just like, "I don't know what the cocaine is." Like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. There's no yeah. That's I mean, it just I, it's it's not notable as an arc because it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, but it's just I'm, nothing. I'm, also, like, who keeps cocaine in their fuel tank? Someone who's trying to sneak it around. <laughs> I guess so. Um, so I don't know if I have anything else to say about that. Um, this episode is just James. Basically having the shit kicked out of him emotionally and sort of from a things that you thought you knew about people. Yeah, true. Because uh, he hears that. We didn't really talk about that, but he does hear that. I mean, we just brushed over it. But I was actually really sad because I'd forgotten that James has to hear that tape. 
I mean, he's like, who's glad that I heard it? That's, that's true. It makes yeah, me yeah. get to be a big dupe again about some other stuff. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> but, like, him hearing that tape has to also, like, if he has any degree of self-respect, which maybe he doesn't, <laughs> that would be the most devastating thing to hear. I know. Oh, my yes. God. If it's like, oh, this girl who's murdered, who I'm my, totally this, torn my about. My murdered like, girlfriend who everyone in the town is mourning. Right. And also, it's like, anyway, this guy's me an idiot. and my best friend slash new girlfriend and her cousin who we've roped into solving her murder... I guess she just thinks that I suck. Yeah. I guess that she actually didn't like me. I guess yep. that she just thought I was terrible. Anyway, I'm glad that she said it. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go tell this that I've discovered to the police who are then going to <laughs> like destroy me for finding drugs in my motorcycle's gas tank. Like, oh man, James. No, it's true. He yes. Just he is the most hapless organism yeah, on this just, entire His face program. just is under the boot of Twin Peaks this episode, just <laughs> yes. getting smushed. Yep. Um, I guess we can, we, I guess we might as well just go back to the mill, right? So, yeah. Uh, Shelly's tied up there. Uh, Catherine arrives. Catherine arrives. That is just Catherine's arc of just being that a was boss. Such an, I know. That was incredible. Like, so, that was a case. We've brought this up a couple times in this show, but it's always still shocking to me whenever it happens, which is Catherine has no idea who this person is, which makes total right? sense. She doesn't go to the diner. Yeah. I know, she doesn't like, like eat at the double R. Of she's course. Just, who are you? I can't hear you. There's a thing in your There's mouth. There's a thing in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it's so crazy to see two characters who have no idea who each other are. Like that doesn't. Right. It's it only happens like once every three episodes of yeah, the show. But, but every it, time it does, it's amazing. For, for Shelley, also, it's just oh, the woman who owns this mill is here, just giving me sass and yeah. ignoring the fact that it's burning to the ground. Also, the way that Catherine. Okay, the way that uh, Piper Laurie plays this is so good because first she has she gets there, she's like who. Who are you? I can't hear you. There's a thing in your mouth. And then when she takes it off and, 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 uh, Shelly understandably, you know, starts freaking out, uh, Catherine's just like, hold on, I have to think. And it's so. And she she says that and the bomb goes off and yeah. then she just continues to think. Yes, it is so deliberate and so, it's perfect. I love it. It's so well done. Yeah, it's, it's the, the trajectory that she, that her character was put on in previous episode with the life insurance salesman. Just like rockets out of the yeah, fucking exactly. stratosphere in mm-hmm. this episode, mm-hmm. just with her saying, "I need to think." It's like previously, I need to think when I found someone's made a life insurance policy. I mean, now she's like, "I need to think." Well, a bomb the goes world off, is literally just- burning down around me. <laughs> yep. Hold on, I have to think. It's so good, I love it. Um, also, in this scene, there's this big like reverb echo 80s action music yeah, like, drum it beat like the, it thing. Like Scored a Terminator One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, boom. It's totally unlike anything we've heard in Twin Peaks before. Actually, there, there's another moment in this episode that I forgot to note down that has this, like, tinkly piano thing that's totally unlike anything yeah. we've heard in the soundtrack before. So this must have been – they must have actually They're gone back to some Battle new Mentor tracks. Said, yeah, yeah, this is the finale. We, we need some new stuff. Yeah, new it stuff. It can't just be – Yeah. <laughs> the whole episode. Um, so, so that happens. Uh, and then as – I, I love this so much. As the mill is burning, um, it cuts to Leland setting off the fire alarm in the hospital. Yep. I love that. It's such a tiny – it's like an obvious yep. thing. It's not really that subtle, but I love it. It's such a great cut. Um, oh, we and, didn't mention, I don't think, that Leland had come into the police station oh, you're earlier. Right. Oh, and God, he said, you're totally right. He said to Cooper – this is after they've arrested Jacques and he's in the hospital and stuff. He comes in – I think it's Cooper that he talks to or is it Truman? He comes and talks to someone and says, you say you, you, I hear you've got the killer. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
and they're like, uh, uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, we got so there's a classic, that's a classic scene of grieving father comes to police station in murder mystery story. Mm-hmm. And then and also classic Leland, just wild. eyed, just crazy. going crazy. He must have been cast for that face. Yeah. Right. I mean, oh my God. I mean, his audi- amazing. I, I, w- I would love to see Ray Wise's audition. Yes. As Leland. His screen test. But, yeah. yeah. His screen test. But then, I mean, they say, Oh, he's at the hospital. Then the, the sheriff's department all leaves the scene and it just ends on Leland saying hospital. Yeah. They, cause it close zoom on his face and he goes hospital. hospital. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And um, then, you know, like, Oh God, this is, <laughs> You're going to do something really dumb. Mm-hmm. And then he does. He, do, he totally does. He murders the this like key witness who's probably right. going to testify. Yeah. He thinks <laughs> it's the killer, but it's actually the only guaranteed lead the police have towards the actual scene of the murder. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. So, uh, yeah. That, so that's amazing. Uh, he go, he, and as he kills Jacques, he's just going, <laughs> it's fine. You, uh, eh. Yep. No, he doesn't do that. Yep. Um yeah. Oh, a pillow. Good, nice, <laughs> or whatever. I don't remember. Actually, what? I, remember. I don't remember how he's killed. Actually, I, 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 I mean, he, he ties his hand to the to the bed and smothers him with the pillow. Okay, that's I. Okay, I said a pillow. You said what? And I was like, oh, did I not see? Oh, because you had a pillow. Nice. Right. He's like, just what like, are you getting at? Oh, that's just Jacques appreciating that oh. someone's doing a nefarious <laughs> thing, which happens in this case to be killing him. But he's like, oh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> good one. Yeah, he's he's just into it. I love this. He's probably he was not into it. He's probably not <laughs> as into this one. No, he was not. He was not into it. Um, yeah. Um, okay, I think we've talked about all the other surrounding stuff until the final scene. Really, there's the there's uh there's Pete rushing in to save Catherine, and she's still yeah. my wife. We talked about that. Already. Oh, so again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we talked about it for a second, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was really, that scene made me really oh, happy. It was, it was so cheesy, but it was just like, oh, this is what Pete was born to be. This is actually who he is. Yep, totally. He's the guy who, like, I don't know, it's the closest to I imagine how Pete saw himself in his job before he was an old man who fished. Right. Not as a guy who goes and saves women from buildings, but just like, a job needs to be done, I'll just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, why would I not do this? Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but yeah, then as far as microcosms for this episode goes, the final scene of this episode might be the ultimate version of that. When Cooper comes into his hotel room, sees the note from Audrey, is intrigued, starts to open the envelope, gets a phone call. Well, he's as he goes, as he's approaching his room first, he he's talking to Diane. Oh, he's talking to Diane he about says, how the case seems to be wrapping up. The Icelanders are gone. Yes, but yeah. yeah, once he's in his room, though, it's just like we will introduce the thread of right. Cooper. Like it's <laughs> it seems like it's going to be the bow on the on the scene. Audrey yeah. gives him the envelope. He finds it before he can open it. The phone rings. He kind of has a weird communication uh, misstep with Andy, where he's like, "Who is this? Can they just wait?" And then he sets the phone down, and Andy is screaming crazy shit at About him. About Leo being shot, yeah. yeah. And then as, as that happens, he opens the door, and a totally strange person in what appears to be a black outfit shoots him twice in the chest or something, mm-hmm. or shoot just shoots three times, I think, just yeah. shoots three times. Yep. And the episode's over. Mm-hmm. As the phone is screaming off the hook, as the letter sits there unopened, yep. as Cooper is shot. Yep. Like, to be continued. And then, yeah. Oh, man! Like, that that scene in and of itself, obviously, if you're watching this for the first time, you're just losing your mind. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you should watch the, uh, we talk, the thing we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the ABC primetime special. You should watch that because they have... <laughs> the footage of people footage seeing that happen. Of people reacting to that scene, and it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Also, there's a girl who is interviewed 
uh, she's wearing an eye patch a la Nadine, but it's up. It's not over her eye. It's right. Like she clearly just had she put it, it up over costume. her forehead because yeah. she was, doesn't, didn't want to wear it anymore. Although what's funny is there's a shot of her watching the show and she's wearing the eye patch as she's watching the show. Sure. Um, and then she's doing the interview later and it's up. And, and her reaction to this is Agent Cooper seems like a pretty cool dude. It's a bummer that he got shot. It was such a great <laughs> soundbite. I love it. Good. Thanks. Thanks, Twin Peaks fan. <laughs> Thanks, team. Thanks, CompuServe member 1374258. Um, yeah. Man. What? I don't know. Just. I mean, the thing that's great about this is we just watch the next episode next week. I know. It's so so good. It's crazy to think about that, like having to wait months for, I think it was, I think it was just a few months, right? Because it was the same year. Season yeah, two started. Yeah. It was just in the fall. When? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. But I'm glad that I didn't have to when I first watched this. Yep. Um, yeah. It's. This is dumb. It's like it's not even worth saying. But just. But you're gonna say it. Watching this episode, I was. I was surprised by. Literally, how much stuff just stacked on top of itself in this episode? Because I remember this episode always as being like a big episode that was full of stuff, but I kind of remembered it being more of a Twin Peaksy episode. Yes, in I remember it being more sort of transitory, yeah, atmospheric, uh-huh. interesting stuff. I always remembered, oh, it's when they have the encounter with Jacques. It's when Cooper gets shot. It's when Audrey meets her dad. But I didn't remember that the episode was just. Beat, 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 over. Like, it's just like, it's just not just beat, beat, beat. It's like, it's, it's like climaxes without resolution constantly. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, it is just dominoes fall, but then the last domino, instead of just stopping, like, you think that you're going to be at the end, but it actually does just launch it off of a precipice and it's just in free fall at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get the sense that they felt, I mean, it's. I mean, clearly, it's they want how to you prolong, keep the show on the air. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. prolong the mystery, but then in doing so, they introduce like half a dozen more things that are some of which are mysteries and some of which are just you know crazy moments frozen in time that are clearly going to um, cascade into something super consequential almost immediately. Right. Yeah, it's it's just amazing how like compared to the previous episode, right? It's incredible how many totally unresolved threads. There now are. Yes. I mean, it's just multiplied by a ridiculous factor. Yep. And again, this is an episode where, even though it is so different from the next episode, which actually this episode aired in May and the season two started in September. So it's a four month break. That's mm-hmm. like, no, that's not a It's lot. not that long. Yeah. It's crazy. Not at all. Yeah. But the, the, the difference between those two episodes, if I remember correctly, and I don't want to talk about the next episode too much, obviously, is pretty stark because it is just... Uh, a Mark Frost episode, and then it's a David Lynch episode. But in my brain, because so many things cliffhang, I've sort of melded them together, which I think is why I misremember it the same way that mm-hmm, sort of sure. episodes two, three, and four at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. I kind of just remember as a cohesive whole. Yeah. But again, I'm just really, I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. I know, me too, for yeah. sure. Um, you want to do some reader mail? Yeah. I'll do one. Oh, next episode is called May the Giant Be With You. Oof. Oh, oh no. Gross. Oh, no. I wonder if that's a terrible German pun. In addition to being a terrible... A terrible Star, Star Wars, Wars reference? Pun, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Um, so uh, Michael Strait writes, do you have any comments about the male friendships in this show? I love the way that right from the start, Cooper befriends Harry. He takes charge by expressing concern about causing resentment, and Harry has zero interest in alpha male headbutting. There's not any of the cliche odd couple sassy bickering you get in every other buddy cop story. Harry always vouches for Coop, and Cooper is constantly deferring to Harry's judgment. When one gets an idea, the other says, okay, I've got your back. I also find Ben and Jerry's relationship charming. They're both total slime balls, but they genuinely enjoy and care about each other more than any of the show's romantic couples, Earthmen. I don't know if I agree more than any of the romantic couples, but they do have a genuine rapport. Yeah, and I love it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Both both Cooper and Truman and... They're both the most tongue-wagging, just blah. Yeah, no, Ben, ben and Jerry is just or, or Ben and Jerry, I mean specifically. Yeah, Jerry. but like, yeah. I like that there are just... And it's not, it's not only... It's not only, like... The, the sort of male pair-offs get more screen time for sure. But, all, but I think any, Norma and Shelley are like that too. Yes. They have a really good um, rapport and like ease yep. with each other that I think is really great. Yeah. I just, it's, it's really nice. And those actually, it's true that those are more often than not the character arcs that at least in terms of amount of time on screen are just sort of people genuinely liking each other's company and doing mm-hmm. things together. Whereas the romantic pairings, you'd get these... They're always, like, tangled yeah, up. You in, get these, like, yeah. bursts with uh, Ed and Norma or the scenes with Ed and Nadine and Pete and Catherine in this episode. But generally, it's just a quagmire of insanity. Right, or, like, Truman and Josie, which is, like, totally empty, right? Like, right. they like each other, but there's nothing there, at least not so, yeah. not to our But it's as far as, like, these are just two people who are actually just existing in their lives together. Mm-hmm in a way that feels comfortable and real. Yeah. The, the romantic pairings are more just like, they're the soap opera ones. Yeah. 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 Def- definitely. Because they're all part of love triangles or like secret affairs or, or like, like a, a quadrangle. That's actually yeah. a circle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a strange thing to, ha- to, to just to note that. that I know. Yep. To oh, connect man. those dots. Yeah. That's just like a recycling symbol of, <laughs> of romantic <laughs> pairings. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think it's time to spoil some stuff. Okay. So, uh, thanks for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. Um, and consider giving us a review and rating on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch. Yes. On Facebook at Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com. We're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. And uh, as always, you can send us email at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week to talk about the first episode of season two. One of the Horribly best. named May the Giant Be With You. That is a disaster. I know. How terrible is that? Known in some places as season two, episode one. Known in some places as episode nine, because it's the ninth episode. Known officially as episode eight, because Twin Peaks is terrible. Yep. Thanks for listening. Twin Peaks is terrible. That name is terrible. The episode, <laughs> however, I remember being very good. Yes. I'm, very for, I'm looking forward to it. Please do not continue to listen if you've not watched the entirety of the run of Twin Peaks as well as Firewalk with me. Also, if you're our friend Zach, uh, or don't do what he did, which was to fall asleep. It's too late now. If you're asleep, la, 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 wake <laughs> up. Uh, our friend Zach <laughs> fell asleep partway through last week's episode, then woke up in the spoiler section as we were talking about the killer of Laura Palmer. <laughs> yes. So um, if you're asleep, I hope that you wake up now or that you have a, some sort of podcatching app that eventually stops playing yep. it if it somehow detects sleeping sounds. Yes. Uh, on that, it's time for spoilers. So we have a spoiler email here to read. Ah, 
what? I'm excited. Yeah. This spoiler email. Maybe it's Twin Peaks season three spoilers. Uh, this is from uh, Daniel. Steal this corn on our forums. Um, just a, a reminder, I didn't say this earlier, but uh, we do have um, a great discussion community on our forums at uh, idlethumbs.net. If you go to the forum section, there's one all about uh, Twin Peaks rewatch. Um, so he writes, Chris and Jake, the guy in the trench coat and ski mask who assaults Dr. Jacoby is the exact same guy in the ski mask who is behind the tree during Leo, Bobby, and Mike's drug deal in the woods in episode two. Jake, you pointed that out. Um, he says, Cooper later hypnotizes Dr. Jacoby into revealing that he smelled the scorched engine oil smell in the park that night, which connects this man to Killer Bob, which ultimately connects him to Leland. But why would Leland be in the woods with Leo when he can barely function at that point? Also, after Cooper gets shot, he recalls he saw a masked face, which also brings this character to mind. And if it is Leland, why would he or Bob wear a ski mask here when he doesn't wear one to the hospital to kill Jacques? I think this was originally created to be a different unknown character, then got explained out of the script later. Huh. That's potentially true. It's also like we know that Leland basically blacks out when he is mm-hmm. when he's when he's kind of more by Bob. Bob yeah. Although in Firewalk with Me, he just kills Laura as Leland with his ma- like. If you put a mask on in that scene in Firewalk with Me, it would be terrible. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, it's that is potentially true. It also could just be that they. If it's not a situation where they had an additional character that they wrote out, it's more. We can't reveal to the cast and the production crew who this killer is. We also want the audience to have the presence of a mysterious figure. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to put a guy in a ski mask. And then later on in the story, it's going to be explained who that is. Right. As a follow-up to this same discussion, um, we've been speculating about who on the cast, if anyone, knew that Leland was the killer. And, and I don't think – it sounds like nobody did. Um, All right, because when Ray Wise was told, he was apparently totally baffled. Which is awesome. Right, exactly. We talked about that before, didn't we? Yeah. God, I love it. So, uh, Lost in the Movies, who is a frequent um, emailer and forum poster about Twin Peaks Rewatch, uh, writes, uh, well, so he says, first of all, good news for 2016, uh, the dead characters will be back. Ray Wise, who plays Leland Palmer, has uh, confirmed, and Cheryl Lee, who plays uh, Laura and Maddie, is also definitely in. Of course she's back. I mean, of course, yeah. Um, so he, he also points out, not only did Ray Wise not, not know the, who, who the killer is, but uh, Caleb Deschanel and Harley Payton, the director and writer of last week's episode, didn't know either. Right. That's crazy because there are so many – as he – I'm reading his email now, yep. he, or his forum post. He says, there's so many weird Leland did it moments that it makes me wonder if Lynch and Frost planted them or if that just ended up being coincidence, which – yeah, it could honestly be either because the character of Leland as established is so unstable and and weird and portentous anyway that yep. you know it's not that it's not that far a cry to to just have those end up being serendipity but but I imagine that that uh, that Lynch and Frost had some kind of hand in that right they, you'd think yeah. they would have had to oh also um. Uh, he points out that Caleb Deschanel, not only is Caleb Deschanel Zoe Deschanel's father, he's the husband of Mary Jo Deschanel, who plays Eileen Hayward, Donna's mom, right. in this show. Yeah, yeah. so both of Zoe Deschanel's parents are involved in this. Yeah, weird. Um, do you have any other spoiler stuff? Oh, man, I thought that I did. Do I not? I guess I don't. Oh, one just goofy thing involving 
notable modern actors being involved in Twin Peaks. It was also pointed out that Rashida Jones's mom is oh, yeah. Norma. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a crazy thing. Yeah. So I guess Twin Peaks is just weird. <laughs> man. Or the television industry is just small. Yes. Um, man, I thought that I had stuff, and I guess that I totally don't this week. That's okay. I mean, yeah, there no. was tons of stuff we talked about, and stuff. I mean, next week's going to be already an immediately. Yeah, it's just huge it's just follow up. I, there's nothing other than everyone who knows what this show is. Actually, yeah, whatever. It was also said on the forum, and I kind of alluded to it in the main show. I don't know if I was really that into this episode watching it this time. When I watched this show for the first time, I ate up everything in this episode because it's just like a pile on it's a huge just n- n- non-stop right but once you know everything forward. that happens it's kind of a tease right and this whole episode i'm just like man get me to next episode when yeah. cooper's laying on the ground yeah and the like the uh that old man comes in and says i heard right. about you it's like give me yeah, that yeah, that's yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. what i want like that's all that i want at this point i know what you're saying but i've also this has been in it re-watching this show i maybe enjoyed the experience of watching this episode more than you did one because i feel like there were more than average number of just really either funny or unexpected or kind of sinister shots that Mm -hmm. a lot of the kind of just typical episodes of Twin Peaks aren't necessarily as packed with, even though that's the stuff we remember. Um, But also, I had forgotten, I guess, how the first season really just does not go into the supernatural stuff all that much. Um, it, that's what everyone remembers and constantly talks about with Twin Peaks. And I guess we've mentioned this before, it's only but outside like that, of Cooper's one dream and David like, Lynch episode. Yeah, yeah, there's really not, yep. it is really not what season one is about. Um, yep. and so this episode was interesting to me in that way because so much, there's so much that happens, but still almost entirely outside of the context yep. of that whole side of the show. Yeah. Which is interesting, I guess, given that season two opens with just like remember that stuff in that red room with people talking backwards (laughs) get ready for that to just explode because that's just yep um yeah no i mean like i i like this episode just i know what you mean it's yeah i I don't i don't i feel like i'm now being too negative on it because i guess okay i guess i guess that i kind of respect this episode more than i enjoy it in a certain way because it has it does all of the heavy lifting that an incredibly convoluted dramatic television show serial season finale has to do, but it also does all the things that you're talking about in terms of just managing to basically in the cracks. Like it's so much of these things, so many of these moments are like in the transitions or at the very mm-hmm. like peak of a scene before it changes, or in the opening and closing, or right right you know at like act breaks or something. It always manages to include very the big moments are always presented very confidently and very right. uniquely, uh-huh. but it doesn't have the breathing room that a lot of Twin Peaks episodes it have. And that's doesn't. the stuff yes. that I really like him no, sort agree. of savoring this in mm-hmm. this, in this and, viewing uh, of the show. Uh, yeah. And I, last episode, episode, the, you know, episode, I guess seven as we're calling it, um, was, I think con in a contrast to what you're describing here was kind of more rewarding on rewatch, right? Because not as much happened as in this episode plot wise, but you do get, that just you just sort of living like, in sort it, of savor you know? a bunch yeah, of stuff. Ex- exactly. And, like, yeah, I don't know. Like I talked about Tibetan rock throwing way early is one of my favorite things. I guess I just like the David Lynch stuff because sure. like w- it sucks that it's so early in season two. It's like one of the opening things, but like when Cooper's laid out on the floor and he has all those crazy experiences and it's just like, 
it's almost agonizing in how plotting that right. stuff is. That's some of my favorite stuff in the show, where it's mm-hmm. just like, we're just going to sit here and just stew in this totally. as aggressively as we can. And this episode doesn't really have any No, you're, you're right. You're right. It's too, it's too dense. But, but I, yes. But what it does with what it has to work with is, is, is really impressive. Mm-hmm. It's just not... I've discovered at least this time through, it's not really what I'm like, what I'm super into. I think that's totally fair. But maybe next time when we do Twin Peaks Rewatch 2 and we, re- <laughs> we rewatch it a third time yeah. with all the stuff that we know about season three. Oh, and then we're like, oh, did they know this when they shot that thing in season one? <laughs> do they know 25 years later they would reveal that James is back and <laughs> like <laughs> he was the mayor of Twin Peaks all along? Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah. James was the balance between the light and the, the, the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, it turns out. <laughs> um, without him, Twin Peaks is totally thrown out of balance. It's revealed in season three. And then he's got to come back. Hmm. They finally decode Major Garland Briggs' weird printouts about owls, and it turns out that it says, <laughs> why did James Hurley leave God, the show? I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm, I declare this episode over. Oh, sorry. Bye. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. It's yeah. Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. Oof. All right. I'm Chris Ramo. Oh, thanks. I'm not. You're not. You're not.